I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so glad you're back. And if you're new here, a big warm welcome. I'm Effie Parks, your host. We have a new episode of Once Upon a Gene TV over on the Disorder channel. You can download that channel for free on your Roku or an Amazon Fire. Our special guest, Mosimi Bose, she is the co-author of the Caregiver's Guidebook. Oh yeah, they made a guidebook. Tune into that episode and I'll include a link to the PDF here in the show notes for you today. So much groundwork available to you. It will save you time and agony. Today I'm joined with an awesome mom. And we're talking about what so many of us found, that we needed to build a different kind of motherhood experience than we had anticipated. Her adorable son, Gregory, was born with CDKL5 deficiency disorder, CDD. It's a rare neurological disease that causes a variety of symptoms, including difficult to control seizures and cortical visual impairment. She serves on that board and also started Art with a Purpose, you can purchase one of the amazing one-of-a-kind paintings from that little dude and others in the community. Art for Hope Love Cure. I'll include it in the notes. And every dollar goes to fund research. Please enjoy my conversation with the ever so sweet Marissa Bishop. Hi, Marissa. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Yes, I'm excited too. I haven't had a caregiver of a CDKL5 little kiddo yet, <laughs> so I'm glad to add it to our mix. So I'd love to know about your family and your little dude named Gregory. Sure. Well, I would love to tell you about him. He is my only child. He is going on six years old. I can't believe you know it's gone so fast. He is so handsome. He has this beautiful, easygoing, laid-back personality. He is a terrific snuggler. Like you said, he lives with a condition called CDKL5 deficiency disorder. It's a developmental and epileptic encephalopathy. You say that five times fast. Um, Lots of people listening can say that five times fast. I'm sure they can. <laughs> so, you know, his brain is missing this protein that's essential for it, it to work, you know, for healthy brain function. And he was diagnosed at six months old after the doctors failed to get his epilepsy under control. And it was becoming increasingly clear that he wasn't like anywhere near on track to meet developmental milestones. And he has grown into this boy who is multiply disabled and what they call medically complex. And being his mom has challenged me in ways I could not have ever imagined 
but he is just a wonderful little boy and a total love. And we live in the Northeast in Connecticut. My husband and I and Gregory is just us. Mm, he is so cute and he's just the same age as my little dude. Yeah, I was thinking that. Tell me about the day in the life at your house right now. A day in the life. Well, you know what? Oh my gosh. It looks different now, right? Than it did before the pandemic. And then it looks different than what it did, you know, when he was little. So right now, Gregory being the age that he is, he's enrolled in kindergarten. And that has been like... It has really changed the way our day-to-day has gone in our life. You know, when he was in preschool, his physical health was really poor. So he would not be able to stay the full time at the preschool program because he was, you know, needing more intervention than what they could provide for him health-wise. But, you know, knock on wood, his health has been pretty stable recently. And so he is able to go to kindergarten and stay the full day and, you know, get to interact with other kids. And he has supports there. And then for our family, you know, I suddenly have time to to do other things with my with my day. So, you know, before school started for him, you know how it is like you're home and you're doing the therapies and you're responsible all the with well, 100% of the time and and now that he's in school I really have a you know a, the school team to help me sort of share the responsibilities of of the day to day for him so it's been we're having we're having fun you know getting into school has been really fun totally totally have you lessened the amount of outside therapies for him since he started going to kindergarten or are you still going to like the same amount of appointments outside of what your school system offers well no, it it has changed since he entered the school system. So before we you know before preschool, he was getting early intervention therapies and doing feeding therapy and um, physical therapy, you know, and everything was was either someone coming to my house or us going to like a therapy center. And then when he entered preschool, we did cut back a little bit just because he was getting therapies at school. And it sort of took the place of of some of that that we had been responsible for at home. And then um, things changed with his health. So, you know, for example, he has a feeding tube now. And so feeding therapy isn't something we do anymore, right? He doesn't do anything by mouth. So that has been different. The main therapy that we really did outside of what has been offered by the school or by early intervention was physical therapy. And we are still involved in that. And then, you know, during the whole pandemic, we did a lot of our therapies virtually, which was... It was a hard no for me. You know, it, was, it was almost like a throwback. <laughs> yeah. It was, yes, I mean, it's some, some of it was almost ridiculous, but, you know, it was almost a throwback to like those early years of early intervention because you know how it is. The early intervention team comes to your house. They don't come, well, to me, they didn't come every day. So they come and they show you what to do and then you're responsible for practicing and practicing and practicing. So it almost felt like the virtual stuff when, when we were home for the pandemic, it was almost like a throwback to that, like a lot of it back on my shoulders. No, he does do the most of his, his therapies are through school now. I know you're like probably like most of us. And before Gregory came into the little world, uh, you didn't even know about rare diseases. You didn't know there was this big old group of, of people that you're, that you're <laughs> surrounded by now. And I wonder, how did you find your people? How did you connect with other parents or friends or groups and get involved in advocacy? Well, you know, you're exactly right. Before Gregory was born, I had never even heard the term rare disease. I had never heard of it before. And I remember when his neurologist called to tell me about his CDKL5 diagnosis, 
I was getting ready to take him for a walk actually outside. It was like 530 in the afternoon and the neurologist called and I'm trying to grab a scrap of paper and a pen and he's saying C, D, K and I'm going, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I never heard anything, anything like it before. You know, getting a diagnosis even even a diagnosis of a rare disease was such a blessing because I really struggled to find my people, like you said. I really struggled with that. You know, in anticipating having my son, I was really looking forward to how becoming a mom would open up the like my world, right? How having a child would bring me opportunities to meet new people and get involved in my neighborhood and my community and looking forward to like, the normal stuff like playdates and Cub Scouts and mommy and me and preschool and PTO and like all that stuff, right? And I've always been someone who likes to get involved. And I've never really thought of myself as outgoing, but I definitely now realize that I am somewhat extroverted, right? I get a lot of satisfaction and feel energized connecting with other people. And when my son was born, and you know, it was really clear early on that he wasn't developing typically, I found it really hard to connect with like other moms. And of course, I had friends who already had children, but like, with them, it was like my stories weren't like their stories, right? My worries about my son were not even on their radar, of things to worry about. My feelings when I shared them were really foreign sounding to people who had typically developing children, like they didn't understand. And I have, you know, I will say, I have wonderful friends. They've supported me and Gregory. They are kind and understanding and they've really shown up for us when we've asked them to. But unless you're going through this, it's really hard to understand it. And when I go out in the community with my son, I don't see people who look like us, right? The only time I see people who look like us is like if we're at the hospital or we're at a therapy center. So when I was a new mom and I really wanted to build friendships, getting out in the normal ways of like playgroups and neighborhood meetups and stuff wasn't working for me because I couldn't identify with what their experiences were. So in finding the sort of connection that I was seeking, I had to enlist like help, right? And who knows the disabled kids in your community, you know, that your early intervention team does. So I asked my early intervention provider to help me, you know, could she introduce me to other moms like me? Because this was, you know, when Gregory was, he was diagnosed at six months. So those first six months when I was a new mother, a first time mother, and really trying to connect with other people. You know, I didn't I didn't have a diagnosis to hold on to. I was just trying to figure out who was around me. And my early intervention provider did help me. You know, she introduced me to a couple other parents who lived in my community who had kids that also weren't typically developing. And it really made a world of difference for me to find them. I mean, you know, the world is made for people raising typical kids, right? And there's no limit to the resources that people have, you know, your pediatrician, your family, your friends that have kids, the internet, books, and, you know, but when you have a kid who's rare, the resources are really scarce and you have to search for them. And some of the best resources are other moms who have been there. And it's really a matter of trying to find them. Mm, yes. So much there. Yes. 
even, yeah, just 2016, 2017, 2018, the lack of community spaces, podcasts, like just resources that we could go to quickly without having to dig through the internet was virtually zero. Mm-hmm. It's so true. And you are doing such a, a, such a service to our community by having you know, this podcast and doing what you're doing in the, the, you know, I've been watching the disorder channel and I know you've been, you know, I've seen you on there and I know the guys that are doing, you know, doing that work. And I mean, I don't know them, but like, you know, you, there are places to go to, to, to listen to stories that seem like yours. And it's just, it's unbelievable. I didn't even have a smartphone until the (laughs) Christmas before my son, my son was born in April, 2016. My husband for Christmas. So in December gave me a smartphone and that was you know, even before that, I don't even know if I knew what a podcast was before. <laughs> okay, Marissa. Before oh my God, that. that's so funny. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, I mean, I was there. I was right there with you. And something about my personality that is a blessing and a curse is that if I see some sort of injustice, like most of the time, uh, it is a hill I will die on, for lack of a better term. And This was one of them. Like, I just couldn't believe there wasn't a place that we could all go to in our cars and on our walks and just in general to find other parents like us that wasn't a produced, like, pretty little thing or a horrendous thing that you would Google. Mm, Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Most of what I think people run into when they Google their kids' rare disease is like not uplifting. It's not uplifting. And the most uplifting experiences are the connections that you make with other people. Because even though, you know, I'll just speak for my son's disease, it's hard. It's hard to have a disease like this. But, you know, you do feel when you can fit in and find your place, even the hard stuff seems not as terrible because you're not alone. It's everything. Not feeling alone and like you're the only one going through this is everything. Yeah, it's so true. And I'm really lucky because CDCal5 has a Facebook parent support group and I've been able to find friendships there. So, you know, I did some work to find women locally that I could connect with. Um, And then the internet is just this incredible gift. And our support group online has allowed me to meet other women who have sons my age. And it's really incredible if you think about it. You know, my son has this rare disease. It impacts girls at like a four to one ratio over boys. And I have been able to find multiple women with sons with the same condition, about the same age as my son. And we get together on Zoom a few times a year. And I wish people could be a fly on the wall because it's a (laughs) wild time, right? It's like, who's having a seizure? Who's stepping away because something's beeping? Who's falling asleep because they were up all night? Like, you know, it's just, it's life that we all understand. And there's nothing like being with other people whose life reflects back to you so similarly, you know, what your own does. And I don't, I've never met these women, you know, but I care about them. I care about them so much. And they've brought such positivity and joy to my life in the mix of just the struggles that we all are facing and, and no answers, right? You know, we're trying to help each, all help each other knowing that there's really no answers yet and we're just doing the best that we can, but it's nice to go through it together. Absolutely. I mean, they're family. They become Mm -hmm. your family. 
And I think it's funny that you talk about all the all the stuff in the background that mm-hmm. happens when you're surrounded by parents who get it. I think that the Disorder Channel actually needs to make a comedy series of it. Maybe they could film one of your Zooms of just oh, yeah, the shenanigans, <laughs> right? Like there's the feeding pump, someone's yep. throwing up, there's right. a seizure. <laughs> Hold on real quick. It's just, it is funny. But it's also like... I remember one of the safest and the most fulfilled moments I had, and I've mentioned it before, is when I went to my friend uh, Cynthia's daughter's birthday party, and it was just kids with rare diseases and other types of disabilities, and I finally felt like I belonged. Mm -hmm. And it was also just like normal, you know, like I didn't feel even a twinge of weirdness when I hooked his extension to his belly or when, you know, I watched... Whatever was happening, it was just this moment where I was like, this, these are my people. Right. I, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the best. There's nothing like it. Mm. I watched a video of you giving a testimonial about Gregory and CDKL5 to a panel and uh, you commented on it and said, is it possible to have your heart broken for your past self? And you said that about rewatching that video and I'd just like to know your thoughts on that and what you mean. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was sending you some things that I, you know, for you to get to know me a little bit. And I had an opportunity in 2019 to speak at a a panel about CDKL5. And, you know, the purpose of the speech was to sort of give and people an understanding about the challenges of of the disorder. It, it wasn't an opportunity to look on the bright side. It was an opportunity to really paint a picture of of the stuff that we struggle with, which is hard to do. And um, my son was in a particularly unhealthy point in his life at that time, where I really didn't, I really didn't know if I really didn't know how he was going to get better. I really wasn't sure he things were going to turn around for him. And I'm so lucky that they have, they have turned around with some things that we've been able to do, but, um, he was really unwell and talking to that group and giving his history, it just, it brought back all of those feelings and reminded myself of, of the journey we had been on from when he was a baby up until that point where he was not, not doing well. And I didn't have the benefit of knowing things were going to be better for him if I just held on. And, you know, watching it, I felt almost really heartbroken for myself because I remember being that person who was like so unsure about how the future was going to go. And I'm still unsure about how the future is going to go for my son, but I'm not as worried about him as I was in that moment, you know? And yeah, I think as you grow through this like journey of having a rare kid and being rare and, and it's so much is unexpected, you don't know how it's going to go. But as I've grown, you know, my son is almost six. I feel so much more competent in dealing with the, the ebb and flow of emotions and dealing with the ebb and flow of the medical systems and the school systems. Like I feel much more competent now. And I didn't feel that way then. So even looking at myself then thinking, you know, it has gotten so much better for me, but I I hadn't had that better yet. And yeah, it made me really, you know, it wasn't a fun time. And the, and the early years were not fun either, you know, 
things are so much better now. And I wish I could go back and tell myself that it was going to get better. But I guess that's what I was thinking. I think we can all relate to that of those just like raw, open, wounded times and go there really. And I was shocked that you actually got through that testimonial with such poise and you were so calm and you kept all of your emotions as in like tears and crying, like right behind you. (laughs) And you just spoke so honestly and the message was heard. And I was so proud of you because I know how hard that was just listening to it. I was like, I wouldn't have been able to do that. She's talking about a seizure right now and I'm crying. Like I would not have been able to do that. It was a lot of practice. You know what I mean? Like you have to, it was a lot of rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing because yeah, you're right. It it is emotional. And, but the more you talk about it, the less overwhelmed by the emotion sometimes you can be, you know? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's just another important piece of telling your story Mm -hmm. and letting other people in and letting others who are so traumatized and so stressed out and just kind of living in in the trenches right now that this is how we all feel, but it can get better and it might get better or it will get better, but you also get better at it. And like you said, you, you start to be able to kind of manage the uncertainty in in so many ways. And it's just really freaking hard in the beginning. But you find the people and the resources along the way that help you cope and give you tools to push forward. So true. I mean, even if your situation doesn't get better, your ability, like you say, to navigate the situation can get better. And that and that is not nothing. You know, that matters. Personal question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. Just in a in a few emails and the way you speak about it, you you say things like, he's my only son, it's just the three of us, things like that. And I wonder, were you planning on having more kids? Did you stop because of Gregory's medically complex situation? What were your thoughts surrounding having more kids or what was your plan? You know... I would have had more kids if I could have had more kids. You know, having Gregory, just um, conceiving Gregory was challenging in and of itself. So, you know, it's not something that was, we would have, you know, it wasn't something that we could, it's just easy for us. It was just, it wasn't easy. So, you know, knowing that there's, there was effort into that, you know, when Gregory was so much more comprehensive or complex to take care of. I really felt like I didn't have the capacity to put a lot of effort into trying to make more more little people. I had, enough, yeah. I had a lot on my plate. Um, yeah. Not that I wouldn't have welcomed another little person into my life because I absolutely would have. But no, I don't, you know, I wasn't afraid that, that this would happen again. Um, although I will say that you know, now that I know about rare diseases and know how many rare diseases there are and how many things <laughs> things are out there, you know, I'm, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I I would say it's not because of Gregory that that he's an only child. It's not because of him. I guess is the answer to that question. 
I just know there's so many different angles to it, right? And why we struggle to decide to have more or not to have more or yeah, it, it could have been hard to even conceive. I was just curious. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I, you know, when Gregory's mutation, oftentimes with CDKL5, they're not inherited mutations, they're spontaneous. So, so the chance of it happening again would be low, but yeah, no, I mean, but it's a lot. It's a lot and he's plenty to take care of. So you were dealing, you were dealing with a seizing six month old and I'm like, that's uh, all set with this. This one is enough. (laughs) Yeah. What is happening? But I do think it's interesting, you know, I I do think it's important. I don't, I mean, I do make it a point to say that he's my only child because, you know, I have a different life than people who have multiple children. You know what I mean? Like I sometimes have people will reach out to me about, you know, participating in our CDCAL5 community. So for people who don't, you know, know, I have gotten, you know, active and involved in our CDKL5 community and with the foundation, the International Foundation for CDKL5 Research, which is the patient advocacy group for CDKL5. And I hear from other moms, like friends of mine in the community, that they feel badly that they don't do more to support our cause. And, you know, my message to them is always that what they do is enough. Like we all have different capacities in life. We all have a limited amount of brain space with which we have to operate, right? And I am fortunate to have a lot of free brain space. You know what I mean? Like I have one child. I don't have three children. I stay at home. I don't, you know, I don't work anymore. I stay home. So, you know, when people say like, oh, you're doing, you know, I wish I could do more like what you're doing. I say, no, I, you know, we all have the ability to do what we can do. And now that Gregory's in elementary school and he's healthy enough to stay the full day, I have a lot of space in my life to dedicate to CDKL5, you know? And so I think it's not like I'm, you know, the super person who's juggling so many balls, you know, because he's my only child, I don't have as many balls in that area of life that other people do. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. But I do think that you are a badass and you are doing well. a lot and you do you do have a very full plate with being Gregory's mom. So I wouldn't diminish all of that, but I no, understand certainly. what you're saying. Yep. And I really appreciate that you respond in in that kind way because it's so true, right? And it's our capacity is different every day. Yes. No matter who we are, right? And especially as a caregiver, like sometimes I can get up and I can just like phew, I mean, like, I got this, you know, and the next day, nobody gets out of their pajamas and I can't, I can't, you know, we're just like surviving. Yeah. No, and, it's so true. Yeah. And I think it's just so important to be reminded by other people, especially that that's okay. And that we all come to this at different times in our life, with different skills in our life, with different family systems available to us. And I think that it's really important to just know that your intention is there, which is what they're saying to you, right? Yes. Like, I wish I could. Right. And that is enough. It is. It is enough. Okay. I know you're doing some super cool art stuff. So uh, tell me about it. Yeah. Just how I had expectations for, you know, what motherhood would be in terms of opportunities and friendships and things like that. You know, I, I, before my, before Gregory was born, 
I had this and I had my new smartphone, right? I did the Pinterest app and I would pin like all these arts and crafts. Like I love stuff like that, creative stuff. I love being creative. And, you know, Gregory, um, you know, with CDCal5, he doesn't have a lot of functional finger skills. He doesn't really have functional vision. You know, he has the cortical visual impairment. He's still in phase one. So like doing those toddler crafts was kind of out and what worked best for us, because I still wanted to do creative things with him, was to put paints on canvas, stick them in a plastic bag, and his little hands could move slowly around. And we would do these little artworks as gifts for like family. And sometimes they came out really pretty. And <laughs> I mean, really, sometimes they were like so nice. And I thought to myself, you know, I wonder if there's something we could do with this to raise awareness of CDCAL5 to maybe fundraise for the foundation. And so in 2018, I started, you know, like a social media Instagram for something that we called Art for Hope Love Cure. Hope Love Cure is like this IFCR tagline kind of thing. And it has been so fun. You know, before COVID, I took some of his stuff to like local craft fairs. And it was a great talking point to be able to tell people about what CDKL5 was. And we did a rare starfish collection. So starfish is like the mascot for CDKL5. We did this rare starfish collection and I reached out to Nord because they're in Connecticut, we're in Connecticut, and asked them if they would be interested in displaying these rare starfish little paintings that we had done. And they said, yes, and they're still up there. They're up in the offices in Nord. It's like so cool. You know, I tell people Gregory is an internationally selling artist because, you know, we've <laughs> sent be. stuff to Italy. We've sent stuff to Australia. It's just been like so fun. And it has served like, a, you know, multiple purposes. It's given he and I something special that we do together. You know, I maybe think it's more fun than he does, but he doesn't complain about it. So, <laughs> but, you know, it's allowing us to raise awareness and raise funds and, and do that sort of at the same time. I love the rare starfish collection. It's so cool. It's so, oh my gosh. And like, whenever they said, sure, we'll put them up. I was like, and they were so sweet to us. We went out there, they had like this little reception for us and we all congregated in the their conference room and they had like snacks. And I, you know, of course I brought Gregory and, and he had a, he had a seizure right in the middle of me talking to them. And I, and I sort of found myself saying, well, you know, the city Cal five. And, and then I said, well, you know, it's, it's on your website. You know what it is. <laughs> it was like sort of silly, but, but, you know, I'm always trying to find ways that I can bring like richness to the life that we have, right? Not despite Gregory's rare disease or in spite of it, but, but like embracing it, right? You know, finding ways that, you know, I so much wanted to help build my own identity through like a typical motherhood experience, but instead I'm, I'm building the sort of identity for us through a rare kind of experience, right? In a rare kind of life through CDCAL5. And, you know, I don't hate it. Like, I think about like people who are like hardcore sports fans, like I am team CDCAL5, hardcore sport like fan. And I really like it. You know, it's brought a lot of meaning and purpose to my life. And I've been able to get involved with the foundation more and more. And I joined the board in 2020. And, you know, what more can you really ask for, I think, in life than to than to make a difference and, and be part of something that's bigger than yourself. So 
you know, through our art project or through other things that we do, you know, we are team CDCAL5 and it's, it's really brought a lot of joy to me anyway. Ugh, my cheeks hurt so bad. <laughs> I've just been smiling so hard. Yeah, I love that. I don't hate it. Yes, yes. No, me either, girl. <laughs> I get you. <laughs> I get you. Well, and I just think that there's so much power in owning your story too, right? And deciding, deciding to find joy and to be happy and to find ways to adapt and to find ways to have a purpose and whatever that means for you, right? And not that things aren't terrible and sad and hard and all of those things, but they're also a lot of the other things, if not more magnified. Oh, absolutely. Totally. I love that. You know, you should get connected to our friend Patricia Welton from Beyond the Diagnosis and just pick her brain. Well, it's so funny that you say that because... God, it must be, I think it was about 2018, I reached out to her because they didn't have a CDCAL5 portrait in the Beyond the Diagnosis. And I filled out the questionnaire and sent in pictures of Gregory. So, but I haven't heard, I mean, she told me that that Gregory could be the CDCAL5 portrait. Um, But that was like years ago and I haven't heard anything since then. And I haven't wanted to bother her about it. <laughs> uh, message Patricia and just rem- just remind her there's a cute little kiddo named Gregory. <laughs> and you never know. I love her. Art- I love those artworks. So, I mean, those those artists who who because I think they donate they donate their time and their their talents to make the portraits. At least that's my understanding. Like what a beautiful thing for them to do. And all of these gorgeous faces and these different you know, mediums. And it's just, it's fabulous. I love looking through her site. It's amazing. Uh, Beyond the Diagnosis, for those who don't know what it is, you can go back and check out episode 56. You're right, Marissa, artists donate their time and their skills to painting the portraits of these kids with rare diseases. And then what Patricia does is she does art installations and now currently virtual as well. And they go up as um, exhibits in hospitals and, you know, all of these different types of stakeholding places like Nord or wherever. And they go up and people who are working so hard to help the lives of these patients and caregivers get to see what they're working for every day. And they get to see the faces of these kids. So it's very cool. Yes, check that out. But yeah, I, I was thinking you should also pick her brain about maybe ways to do that with your starfish installation. Oh, yeah. No, that's a good idea. I did have intentions of using them to like try and get some speaking. I was thinking maybe my local library, something like that. We're working on a collection of brains, of painted brains. So I was thinking... I'm happy for Nord to keep the starfish up because that makes me smile. Yes. Um, and if we had a new collection of these brains, you know, that would be something that, yeah, we could try and get some speaking engagements. But I was thinking lo- like local, like my local library, like I said. But yeah, maybe even think a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm ready for that. But <laughs> you got you got so much time, Marissa. You have so much time in the day. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's amazing. And I think there's a lot of parents whose ears are going to perk up when they hear what you're doing with that, because there's a lot of really artistic families. And, yeah. you know, that's just such a cool way that uh, a lot of our kids can participate in their own way and make beautiful things. And then 
yeah, and then use it for fundraising or awareness or whatever. I think that's just a really unique way to come to the table as an advocate uh, because it's it's just as important as any other kind. Well, Marissa, tell everyone where they can find you, how they can help your cause. Sure. We have a website. It's um, artforhopelovecure.wixsite.com slash cdcal5. It's long, but also I'm sure I, I can sh- I've shared it with you before. But it, we're easy to find on social media. So on Instagram, it's at artforhopelovecure. And we're also on Facebook. And that's where you can find us. You know, our website has some stuff that we have available for artworks, but we love getting commissioned artwork. And we'll have people say, I have these colors in this room. Could you do something in these colors? And we love doing that. And then you can learn more about CDCAL5 at the International Foundation for CDCAL5 Research's website, which is cdcal5.com. And these women, well, I should say women, women and men, moms and dads, um, our board is all parent volunteers. And um, we are doing some really cool stuff for CDCAL5. And I'm just so honored to be a part of that. And so I feel so fortunate, you know, I think as I'm following rare disease people on social media, because that's, I mean, if you look at my social media, it's like all rare. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure yours is too. It's like all rare disease stuff. But as I, you know, follow and explore about rare disease on social media, I see these parents who are out there starting these foundations, starting things from scratch because they've got a newly diagnosed kid or there's maybe not a lot, you know, there's a few, only a few people diagnosed with the, what their child has. And I see them working so hard to get things going for their disease. And I feel like it's so silly to say, but I feel proud of them. I don't even know these people. And I'm like, look what you're doing. You're doing so good. I feel like such enthusiasm for what some people are doing out there. And at the same time, I feel so much gratitude that I have landed into a rare disease where the patient advocacy group, the IFCR, has been around for over a decade. Like I feel so fortunate because, you know, like I said before, I had never heard the term rare disease before. And as I've learned, I've learned that most rare diseases don't have foundations to support them. They don't have science working on them. And, you know, if my son has to have a rare disease, you know, CDCAL5 is not the worst one to have because there are people who have started, you know, there's been stuff going on for a while now. And I just feel really lucky to have that foundation in my life and in my son's life. And, you know, we do a lot just to support, to support them because that's, you know, if if there's something going to come down the pike for my son to help his health, it's it's going to be because of their efforts. And any way that we can support what they need is is something that we want to do. <laughs> yes. Oh, I can definitely feel your energy. And I 100% connect with you there. Like, I feel you every time I meet someone or interview someone or hear a success story. Like, I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of you. I will shout it to the rooftops for anyone else because I mean it when I say that we're in this together. And I just love that energy that catches and passes and just Mm -hmm. brightens every single day. Yeah. Yeah. And we're always learning from each other too, right? I see what people are putting out there and what they're doing and it's, it's helping me. Yeah. We are all in this together. Totally. 
Well, thanks so much for being my guest and sharing your perspective shift on your experience of motherhood and just for being a bright light. And I'm really, I'm really happy I met you. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. Ha 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 